0: In the book of Ephesians, and probably will be for most of the rest of the year, we're actually all the way up today to chapter 3. Um, the Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. Um, he writes it for two purposes. He spends three chapters talking to the people about their position in Christ, and then he talks about their purpose in chapters 4 through 6. Um, let me say this. A lot, a lot of times <clears throat> in Paul's writings, what you see is, The first part of a book is doctrinal. The last part of the book is practical application. Um, And it's easy sometimes when when we like the practical application. We like the end of the book kind of verses. And a lot of the verses that we grab hope and stuff from are at the end of a lot of the writings uh, of Paul. What you need to understand is you need to understand the doctrinal part of it in order to get a correct application of the practical part of it. Let me give you an example. Uh, one of the most controversial passages in our culture, when we get to the book of Ephesians, that passage about wives submit to your husbands. Okay? And everybody wants to talk about how unfair that is and, 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 and all of this stuff. Because most people don't understand chapters 1 through 3. You've been with us so far. If you've been with us so far, what have we been talking about in chapters 1 through 3? We've been talking about the idea that we're one in Christ, that he takes Jews and Greeks and brings them together, Romans and Gentiles and brings them together, that like we talked about last week, God created this entirely new concept called the church. And what people like to do is they like to pick out one little passage and argue it and not realize chapters four, five, and six talk about submission to one another, submission to Christ, uh, submission, all the way, submission is this idea of being under Christ and it's not this And when you understand chapters 1, 2, and 3, you, get, you can get a proper interpretation and application of 4, 5, and 6. And that is often true. In the book of Romans, for instance, Paul spends six chapters on doctrine. He spends three chapters on history. And then when he gets to chapter 12 through 16, which are all the passages that we like, he starts putting it together. So... What we're doing is we're building this foundation on which to learn the application down when we get to chapters 4, 5, and 6. That's why he says, you need to understand your position in Christ. You need to understand that when you got saved, God did more than say, here's your ticket to heaven. And that's why we're spending all the time here. So up until now, here's what we've talked about. In chapter 1, Paul talks about the role of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in your salvation. He talks about the idea that God blessed you. God chose you. God adopted you into his family. He talks about the role of Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus Christ has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has showered his grace upon you. He gets to, he gets to the role of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit helps you to understand God's working in your life. And the Holy Spirit has sealed you. He gets to chapter 2, and he talks about the idea that God has has saved you. You were once aliens, enemies of God. God brought you into his family. He saved you by grace. It's not of anything you can do to gain God's favor. But God's grace was poured upon you, and God graciously brought you into his family. This morning, we're going to get to chapter 3. And we're going to deal with a question that, if you have been around, any length of time comes up. And the question is basically this, why do bad things happen to good people? Because that was the question Paul's going to start to address, because here's the deal. The people in Ephesus are sitting back and they're looking at Paul, and they're looking at a guy who has served God. They're looking at a guy who has loved God with his whole heart. They're looking at a guy, and, and, and they see him in prison. And one of the questions in their mind is, Paul, why is God doing this to you? Why has God got you in prison? And what you're going to see this morning is this glimpse of Paul understanding why God did what God did. And it's going to force us to ask some really, really hard questions. So with that in mind, we're in Ephesians chapter 3. Here's where it starts. And this is what Paul said. For this reason, I, Paul, now let's just stop right there for this reason, he's going back to chapter two. And he talks about this idea that when, when God saved us, God brought us together. And he's saying this, this concept is, remember we talked about this last week, when, you, when God saved you, he brought you into a new kingdom. So he is now your king, not Satan. He brought you into a new family. He's your father, not Satan. And he's building you. He is fitting you into his plan. Paul says, making a building that we call the the, the idea of the the big church, um, the people of, of the church. Paul said, for that reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Okay, now stop for a minute. Paul is in prison because Caesar, because he appealed to Caesar, because basically he helped the Gentiles and the Jews didn't like it, and they raised a ruckus with Rome. Rome then had to figure out what to do with him. They started to persecute Paul, and Paul said, "Hey, I appeal to Caesar," which now means that he gets a, a direct ticket to Rome, dealing with him now instead of the Jewish people dealing with him. Paul says, "I a prisoner of what's the word? What did he say? Wait a minute. He's not a prisoner of Christ. He's a prisoner of Caesar. Why does Paul say I'm a prisoner of Christ? That's important because here's the way. This is what you need to understand, Paul." and you're going to see this in a second, Paul frames his circumstances not around what is happening in his life, but around what God is doing in his life. So anybody else would say, oh, I'm a prisoner of Caesar and God's using it. No, no, Paul says, no, no, this is all part of what God's doing in my life. You think it's a bad thing, it's all part of what God's doing. And he says, I, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and he even tells us why, for the sake of the Gentiles, He said, the reason I'm a prisoner right now is to help you guys, you Ephesian people. That's why God's got me in prison. It's not that there's bad things happen to a good person. He said, this is the idea that God has a plan, something much bigger than I have in mind. And he goes on to say this. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul says, one of the things that you need to understand is God has been so good to me. And the reason God has been so great to me is so I can help you. And he goes on, he says this. That is the mystery made known to me by the revelation, as I've already written briefly. He's jumping back to chapter 1, where it talks about the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is mentioned like 27 times in the New Testament. 21 of those Paul talks about. Here's the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is this idea. It's this idea that God, from the beginning of time, has worked it out so that Jesus Christ could come to this earth, die on the cross, and pay for our sins. And we could be part of God's family. It's a great mystery how God orchestrated all of that together. And so Paul says that that mystery, and and, and he's going to take it on in a minute, and that's what he talks about in chapter 1. And he goes on to say this. Um, And I've already written to you briefly. Oh, hang on. Go go back just real quick. Um, Wow, you know. Um, Okay, here we go. Then you will be able to understand my insight. In reading this, you will be able to understand my insight in the mystery of Christ. Paul said, so I'm going to tell you a little more about this mystery of Christ and how not only did God orchestrate that, but God continues on working, and I get to be part of it. So notice what he says, going on in verse uh, 5. There we go now, guys. Thanks. Uh, Don't worry. You know It's my fault. Here he goes. Which was not made known to people in other generations. It has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. He said, in the past, people couldn't figure this out. They didn't understand how it all connected together, but now we can, we can understand it. Now Jesus has come, he's died, he rose from the tomb. Now we can put all the pieces together. Um, I thought it was interesting. I I read this this past week, and I thought this was a fascinating insight. I'm not a puzzle person, okay? I'm not. Um, Some of you are. God bless you. You have that kind of patience. But here's the thing. When I have people doing puzzles, one of the things that this is just my bizarre thinking. What I want to do is I want to take one piece off the table and put it in my pocket. (laughs) Now I'm not, I don't do this, but this is what I want to do. And then when they're looking around frantically at the end, going, I can't believe it, I can't. I want to be able to pull it out and put the last piece in. That's just the way my mind thinks when it comes to stuff like that. But here's the thought. When you buy a puzzle, does it ever occur to you that the company took one piece out? The irony is that when you buy a puzzle, you actually trust the company that if it says there's 500 pieces, there's 500 pieces in it. And yet, when it comes to our lives, we're not willing to trust God that he knows where all the pieces fit. I think it's ironic sometimes that we have that approach. That's like, God, what are you doing? I don't know if you know what you're doing. God, you should do it this way. It should fit this place and it doesn't. Time out. If you you trust a company for a puzzle box, why can't we trust God that He knows what He's doing and all the pieces fit? But anyway, that was free. Okay, here it goes. Uh, He goes, has been now revealed to the Spirit of God by his holy apostle prophet. This mystery is that the gospel of the Gentiles. Are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, share together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that Paul is getting so excited that what Paul does is something that we don't understand as Americans because we don't understand Greek. But when Paul wrote this, Paul is so excited about this, he starts making up words. Words that don't exist in the Greek vocabulary. But Paul starts Taking two words and combining them together and slapping them together because he is so excited about this mystery that he gets to be a part of. And he says, and, and here are the words. He says, We're heirs together, joint heirs is what some translations say. We are joined together with the body. We're like joint bodies, and we're joint together sharers of the promise. Paul says, You need to understand, here's what God did. God saved us and God had this great big mystery plan and God's now going to give the gospel to the Gentiles. That's you guys. And you know what he does? He he like takes you all together and he like throws you into one big pot and he makes you like all together as joint heirs and then he joins your bodies together and he puts all this unity thing together and he's giving you all these promises. That's what God did to you guys. That's, That's the way we would convey it. He starts making stuff up going, you don't understand how awesome this is that God has done this. And then he ends it by saying this. And I, Paul, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of God. Paul said, and you know what is even more amazing to me? God lets me share this with people. Now, here's what you need to understand, because this is really, really important. Paul is writing to people who are Gentiles, right? And Paul is writing to people who are Christians, right? How did Paul start out? Paul started out as an extreme racist against Christians. To the point that he was passionate to exterminate every one of them he possibly could. And now, because of what God has done in his life, Paul is now in prison for trying to help the very people that he hated at the beginning. And he said, God has done an incredible thing here. So let's get back to our question. Why do bad things happen to good people, okay? Now, um, if you know me, you know that I'm trying to speak the truth in love. And if you know me, you know that I don't back away from truth. So some of the things that I say today are going to be very hard for some of you to hear. Understand, I'm saying it because it's truth, and I'm, understanding, I'm saying it because I love you and I want you to really think hard about it. Because a lot of people get hung up, on circumstances and situations and events that come into their lives and they blame God and they get stuck. And I want to talk about how that happens and how you keep that from happening. And you see it in the life of Paul. The, the view of the Ephesian people, the people at Ephesus was, Paul, we don't understand why you're such a good guy doing all of this good stuff for God and you're in prison. Why would a loving God do that to you, Paul? That's their mindset. Paul, on the other hand, looks at them, and Paul gives some insight in this passage to help them understand that. So let's go back to the passage with that in mind and walk through it. First thing Paul says is, it's this idea of, it's, Paul has this concept of this. What I'm going through is common. The suffering, the hardship, all of that, that's common. There are so many issues with that that concept of why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, time out let's just walk through it biblically there is none good but God so we have already got a problem secondly we have a problem because why do bad things happen to good people assumes that bad things should only happen to bad people news flash all have sinned and come short of the glory of God we're all bad people You see the problem in that mentality? Here's the third idea. You know what the third problem with that concept is? You have the mentality of entitlement. I'm entitled to a life that has nothing bad happen to it. Really? What point are you granted at? I'm entitled to a trouble, free life. Read your Bible, because almost every Bible character that I see in the scriptures, struggled and had issues and had problems and went through a tough time. Job, probably one of the greatest examples, what does Job say? Curse God, Job. Curse God, Job. Curse. I said, Time out. If I'm going to take the good from God, then I've got to take the bad too. You see, here's the thing. Bad things happen to everybody. Nobody gets a pass. In other words, We all have that in common. We have it at different levels, but there's nobody here who can stand up and say, my life is perfect. I've never had a struggle. I've never had a hardship. Everything has gone my way. It is all rainbows, unicorns, and roses. Why? Because struggle, hardship, is common to everyone. Paul understood that. So Paul didn't use, look at his situation of being in prison as unique. There were a lot. John the Baptist lost his head because he was doing that which was right. And so Paul looks at his situation and his circumstance, and he steps back and he goes, you know what? This is just common to all of us, and here's what I would say to you. Your situation, that thing that you want to look at and say, I don't understand why God made this bad thing happen in my life, why God allowed this bad thing to my life. Here's the thing. There are, there are lots of people on this planet that have experienced that. And you go, well, mine's so bad. Well, you don't understand. In some cases, it's worse. It just depends on who you want to compare yourself to. And so often what happens is we go, we, we have this sense of entitlement. Well, this shouldn't happen to me because my life should be this way, and this is what God should do. And God loves me. So God should always give me what I want. Yeah, those of you who have tried to parent that way, how does that work? No, because a loving parent gives you what's best for you and prepares you for the real world. And, 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 and part of it is you have to sit back and say, okay, what I am going through, what I have gone through, my experiences, whatever it is I want to blame God, I have to step back and realize that is common. Everybody struggles. Everybody goes through stuff. Second concept is this. What does Paul do? So Paul looks at his present and goes, okay, first of all, what I'm going through, everybody goes through Then Paul does what we should do, and Paul looks back. And Paul focuses not on what he thinks he should get, but instead Paul focuses on what he has been given. And Paul says, I look back on my past and I see the goodness of God all over my life. He has saved me. He has taken care of me. He has met my needs. See, this is a problem. When people want to focus on the bad thing that happened, they, do, they, they put blinders on and they focus on the bad thing to the exclusion of all the good things. And I'll tell you right now, if you want to spreadsheet it all out and you want to put a column of the bad thing that God has allowed to happen in your life and you want to put a column over here of the good things that God has done for you, I'm here to tell you it'll be like 100 to 1, or 1,000 to 1, or 10,000 to 1. I was reading this morning, again. I try to read stuff that are, that, that, I, that, that are a little bit outside of my belief system just to challenge me to make sure my thinking's right. So I was reading a deal this morning, pro-global warming, okay? And, and they were talking about how the planet's heating up, and they were talking about how in the next couple of years we're going to raise the temperature of the planet by one degree, okay? You know why we're going to raise the planet to one degree according to this article? Because 2.3 billion people in the world have started to increase their standard of living and those 2.3 billion people in the world are going to start buying air conditioners. Now, time out. You know what that means? there's 2.3 billion people who don't have an air conditioner. Let me say it again. As we sit in an air-conditioned building, getting ready to go to an air-conditioned car, maybe going out to eat in an air-conditioned restaurant to go back to an air-conditioned home. Why did God give you that and not those 2.3 billion, one of those 2.3 billion other people? I got up this morning and had to choose which car to take. I got it this morning. I don't know what the weather did last night. It could have rained and blown like crazy. I have no clue. You know why? I have a nice insulated roof over my head and an air conditioner cooling the whole place down. I was able this morning to get up. I was able to breathe on my own. I was able to go to the closet and choose out of all kinds of clothes to wear. I had to pick which shoes to put on and which socks to do. And I walked up this morning and went, oh, that's not, this is not a great match, but that's okay. I thought, <laughs> you know what? Hey, I've already got them on. I'm too lazy to change them. So that's it. That's what they are. Do you understand, if you are living in America in 2018, how much grace God has poured upon your life? And you want to say, God shouldn't have done that to me. Now, I know God doesn't think like we do. But I think, I wonder sometimes, with that concept of, I think it's like taking a kid to Disney World. And you sacrifice, and you save up, and you pay the tickets and you try to create this great big experience for them and overwhelm them with all the cool stuff of Disneyland or Disney World and and you 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 spend extra money for all the special experiences and you come to the end of one of the days and the kid goes can I have an ice cream and you realize you've put more sugar in them than they needed to have anyway and you go no and they look at you and go you don't love me how dare you keep an ice cream for me I wonder sometimes, is that not what we do to an almighty God who loves us? Came to the cross, died on the cross for us, saved us, adopted us, redeemed us, forgave us, lives in our hearts, helps us, guides us, directs us, and we want to go, how dare you allow that to happen to me? What Paul did in his present is Paul stopped and he took a look back at how good God had been to him. And how God had taken care of him. And Paul said, look, I understand you see this as a bad thing. But I don't. Because I have watched God take care of me over and 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 over again. And God will get me through this too. In fact, Paul says, and this is how he ends, this was really for you. It wasn't about me. You see, the attitude of how can God allow something like this to happen to me is focused on me. Paul, instead of focusing on the circumstances and situation, focuses on how God has been in the past and how God can use it in the future. And what does God say to him? Or what what does Paul say about it? He said, here's the incredible thing. Yes, God put me in prison. Yes, I'm now a a, a prisoner of Christ. He didn't see it as a prisoner who sees it. God is using this in my life. I'm now a prisoner of Christ, and God has been so good to me to be able to allow me to share and be a minister and tell you about God's grace. He said, that's what this is all about. This is all about you. The reason I'm going through this is to help you. And I'm okay with it because that's what I want God to do with my life. Paul saw his present in context of how God had worked in the past to show how God was going to use him in the future. Ultimately, whatever you're going through, that is the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is for God to be able to use your circumstances and situations to help somebody else. Paul says this in in his writings that you've gone through it to be able to help other people. Look at Jesus Christ. There is none good but God, right? Did Jesus Christ suffer? He was a man of sorrow, acquainted literally with lots and lots of grief. Why? Why did he do that? Because he wants you to know when you're going through a tough time, believe me, he gets it. Believe me, he gets it a level even you and I don't get it. Because he voluntarily went through it when he didn't have to. And I challenge you because as we go through life and things happen and things will happen because It's universal. You have two choices. You can focus on your circumstances, situation. Or you can focus on God and how he has taken care of you in the past. And ultimately, one day, how God will use it in the future. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying that's an easy jump to go from there to there to there. But the ultimate goal is here. I like what Rick Warren says. He said, God never wastes a hurt. We do, but God doesn't. And whatever you have been through, whatever you have gone through, God wants to use it to help somebody else who is going through it. That's the whole thing of the body of Christ coming together, this unity idea. And Paul's so excited because he said, you don't understand. I'm in prison right now in order to help you. And I consider that the most incredible thing that God's done because God's using me even here. Let me take you Uh, the Bible doesn't say this, so I am completely speculating based on what I know of the scripture. So this is just my personal theory, okay? So everybody clear on that? So don't like go, where does it say that? doesn't, okay? I'm just guessing. As I study the life of Apostle Paul, here's what I find. He is a type A personality. He's going 100 miles an hour, 50 different directions at once. He is a go-getter kind of person. Paul is one of those, he's running one place, the next place, the next place, the next place, the next place. Every time he has a chance, he makes a big scene, gets everybody all going up, browsing all up until he gets kicked out of town, runs to the next town, does the same thing all over again. And Paul's ultimate goal, as you read the scripture, I think, has the idea of, I want to get to Rome, I want to get to Rome, I want to get to Rome. He wants to do it in Rome. And until he gets to Rome, he's just bouncing around everywhere like a ping pong ball. Every chance he gets to do something and show the gospel, he does. And I think personally... God had a bigger plan for him, so God tried to slow him down. I think that's the affliction that Paul ends up with. And he says, three times I pray, God, take it away, take it away, so I can keep going faster and faster and faster, and God said no. But I think in spite of even the affliction, Paul just keeps going and going and going, and God's in heaven going, we got to come up with plan B for this boy. And so what God does is he gets him in a situation trying to help Gentiles where Paul says, I want to go to Rome. Hey, here's a way to go to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. Great. Now you're going to be imprisoned in Rome. And by the way, when you're imprisoned in Rome, you're going to be under house arrest. So you ain't going nowhere, buddy. And you're going to be shackled to a guard, and you're going to be there, and you're going to be able to have some things. You'll have people that can come and go. People can visit you. You know, we'll get you some stuff and so on. And Paul's sitting there in Rome going, I want to be, I want to be, I want to go. I know I can't be there. I'll write to these people. And so Paul starts writing these letters because I don't think Paul's personality was a writer at all. I don't think you could have ever gotten Paul to sit down and write while he was running around from city to city to city. But in prison, it's the only thing he can do. Well, that and witness to every guard around him, and that's what he does that too. And even, even, even those of the household end up coming to know Christ. But, so I think, so Paul starts writing these letters. And guess what? 2,000 years later, you and I are recipients because bad thing happened to a good person. God had a much bigger plan than Paul running around from little city to little city to little city to little city. God said, you know what, Paul? I'm going to use you. To impact generation after generation after generation Because I'm going to put you in a situation Where you're not going to have any other choice but to write and Those writings are going to be used for hundreds of thousands of years if Paul, What if Paul would have sat In that chain to that guard or in house arrest Saying I can't believe God did this to me God God, you didn't do this God, God how dare you do this to me I was serving you I was trying to do what's right I'm not going to do anything for you How much would we have missed? How much would we have missed? And I want to challenge you because Satan's great tool is that when you and I come up against something that's hard in our life, the last thing Satan wants us to do is to focus over there on how good God has been to us. Satan wants your focus right here. and The longer he can keep it here, then you get stuck. I've debated all week long on whether to say what I'm about ready to say, and I just decided, all right, God, you know, if you, you keep puncturing me that much, then I probably ought to say it. So I'm going to try to say this in a right way. So take it with a grain of salt and know that I'm saying it in love. But you need to think about it. For some of you who, are going through, who have gone through a tough time and you will not let it go, you are stuck. That is you. And even in talking about all this, you don't even want to look at the grace of God and how God's been to you because you're so angry at what God's done. I got a couple questions I want you to think about. Could it be that there's something much deeper at play here? Could it be that as long as you can focus on your hurt, you don't have to be accountable to God? Because you can be mad at God. Because see, if you take your eyes off of here and you put them over here, then what's going to happen is you're going to start to realize how good God has been. And you're going to have to realize that because God has been so good to you, you're accountable to him. And the reality of it is, this isn't about... God, what God did to you, this is about the fact that as long as you can focus there, it can all be about you. And the moment that you start focusing over here, it has to be about God. And so in your world, it's much easier to focus here so I don't have to be accountable over there. So you can get mad at God. I'm going to be honest with you. Biblically, you want to get mad at somebody? You're mad at the wrong person. Because God didn't design pain, suffering, hardship. Satan brought that into this place. You want to get mad at somebody? You get mad at Satan. The reality of it is God came to make this right and give you a way out so that you don't have to spend your focus here so that you can focus on how God has redeemed you and saved you and forgiven you and sealed you and done all of those wonderful things that God has done in your life. But Satan, who's really good at this, gets us to put our focus there and say, why, 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 it's not fair. I'm entitled to more. It's about me. And Paul says, it's not about me. It's about you. And God used that so that I can help you. And whatever hurt, pain, difficulty, I, I'm not saying, I, believe me, believe me, I, I've done counseling and been pastoring long enough to know this is not a flip your switch kind of thing. This is a long process. And depending on how you are wired, some people, it's a lot longer than others. And there will constantly be this battle back and forth of trying to keep your eyes over here because Satan's always trying to pull your eyes over here. Paul was able to get past this because Paul looked back at his past and how God has saved him and taken care of him and how God could use it in the future. So the present was just simply a means to to what God wanted to do in the future. There are times that my wife and I have been through some dark, difficult, hard times. There are times that in all honesty we could not see any way out. We have been through it job wise, we have been through it financially, um, we have been through it marriage wise. There, you know, you know, you look at it and go, oh, really? You? Yeah. Okay, canoe trip people know better now. But I mean, that's why we go on these trips, so we get to know each other. Um, you know, and we tell stories, you know, and, and and they learned a side of my wife that they didn't know existed. Because we got to tell the Chad canoe strip story. Um, and they're like, really? She would do that? I'm like, you have no idea. Um, and we've been through some tough times. I there, there are people in this church that have been through far tougher times. I'm not, I'm not trying to. But, but, but for us, they were big issues. And they were, they were issues at which we really came up against the wall on. And you go, well, what do you do during that? Do you pray? No, I didn't want to pray. You read your Bible? No, I didn't want to read my Bible. Did you, like, listen to some counselor? No, I didn't want to go to a counselor. Did you, like, seek out some preacher to listen to on the radio or TV? No, I didn't have, I didn't didn't want anything to do with it. I was hip, deep in what we were going through. And there are times that my wife and I, we would sit down and we would have this discussion, and here's how the discussion always went. Honey, I don't know what God's doing, and I don't know why God's allowing this. But let me tell you, here's what I do know. I do know that we've been in, in situations where our backs up against the wall lots of times. And I do know that God has done some incredible things to bring us this far. God could have walked away at any point in the last X number of years, and it would have been all over. But God has been faithful and gotten us through this situation and that situation and this circumstance and this circumstance, and this I don't like what we're going through. I don't want what we're going through. But I know that God will get us through it as long as we stay focused on him. And ultimately, God will use it as we try to help somebody else. So right now, our prayer just needs to be, honey, God, help us to stay close to you. Help us to realize you're going to have to get this to it get us through this because we can't do it on our own and I'm here to tell you that after oh shoot I'm going to get in trouble 35 years of marriage in December yes I win to 35 years and I don't know how many ministries over the years we have watched God be faithful and there are times that we had no idea how. And what's ironic to me is I find myself in situations now where I share the stories. And I say, let me tell you how God's grace got us through this. And I know you don't see it right now, but God will take you through it if you'll let him. Paul When these people are wondering, why in the world is this happening to you, Paul? Writes them and says, let me tell you something. What I'm going through right now, I'm okay with because I see myself not as a prisoner of Caesar like you do. I see myself as a prisoner of the Lord. I see myself as this is a way I can serve God. And you know what? God's grace has been incredible to me. God's letting me be part of this great mystery and this thing called the church. And it's so exciting, and God's bringing us all together, and God's using me to use you to do it, and I get to be in the middle of it. It is awesome. I'm not saying we have that attitude. It's great if you can. But that was Paul's attitude. God's using me. And if it's hard on me, that's okay, because I get to be part of something so much bigger. And I would just challenge you. If you're stuck, get unstuck. Some of you need to really go back and list out on a piece of paper all of the things that you have watched God do and all of the blessings that you have. Have you been through hard stuff? Yeah, I've got a column over there too. But you know what? That column of God's grace to me fills up far more pages than that short little column of the tough stuff I've been through. And I just want to challenge you with that because God says, look, I'm going to take you through that to help somebody else if you'll let me. And that's our card, so don't waste the hurt. So I end with this. Paul explains why bad things, quote, unquote, happen to him. But he doesn't see them as bad things. Instead, he focuses on the grace of God and God's plan and God's purpose in his suffering. God wants to use each of us this week. He never intends to waste a hurt to be wasted. It's up to us to allow God to use our life to be a blessing to others. Let Him do that this week. And you'll be amazed at how God can work in your life even through those hard times. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, at times, Lord, we do act like spoiled children. And Lord, we don't want to do that. or it's just we've been given so much, just our human nature is we just continually want more. So Lord, help us to learn and to focus on, on what you have given us each day. Lord, may we be people of gratitude. May we be people who appreciate and enjoy that which you have done in our lives and that which you are doing. Lord, may we learn to be able to take the hurts and the difficulties and the hardships that we've been through and be able to share our struggle with others so that, Lord, we can help carry the load as others go through some of the same thing. Because, Lord, we are all in this together. So help us as we try to help each other to honor you in all we do this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.